set expectations up front, hire based on your values, align vision, measure, inspect, do not expect. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Growth and Scaling Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Westra, and today's guest is phenomenal. You're going to love this episode because it is somebody who is speaking to a topic near and dear to my heart, which is marketing, but also a man who has not only been through marketing, digital marketing from the beginning, but also has been through the journey as employee, as a partner, as a co-founder, as a founder, and now as a recently acquired business owner. I love all, all those steps. All those stages are fun stages in someone's growth. And while you may not experience every one of those roles, it is fascinating to hear a conversation with somebody that has. So I challenge you to listen to this episode with an open mind and, and understanding that this man has been through almost every type of role you can have in launching and growing an agency or a business and in the growth journey from all aspects, all sides of it. I love it. You're going to love this episode. If you know someone that needs to hear it, make sure they get shared this link and you share that out to them and like and subscribe. This is a fun journey. You're, gonna, you're not going to want to miss it. Thanks for being here. We'll see you on the flip side of this interview. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Growth and Scaling Podcast. Today, I am super stoked to have with us a special guest who not only has grown and scaled his own business, grown and scaled other businesses, but he also has done the unthinkable, acquired, joined forces with another company. So, Kent, give us a quick intro. Who are you? And what do you do with your business? Yeah, well, thank you, Todd. It's an honor to be on your show and look forward to chatting. Um, so in, in the briefest possible way, I, uh, my background is that I'm a, a, a marketer, PR professional turned digital marketer back in 96. And by 99, I co-founded my first agency. Um, since then, I've been at 10 agencies, co-founded two, founded two. And it was getting fired from two of which I was a senior, mid to senior level executive or founder that pushed me to do my own thing. Wow. And after 22 years, I sold my agency, yeah. Anvil, to a Midwest best based agency called Dexia uh, last March. So now I went from being a sole owner, proprietor of a boutique agency to being um, head of marketing or chief marketing officer for Dexia, a much larger agency, four times larger, and um, helping them grow uh, is my primary focus right now. Love it. I love it. You've worn a lot of hats over the years. Correct. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you know, originally it was just a just a an agency marketing guy, and then um, a co-founder, and then running my own agencies um, over somewhere at the same time. Uh, but basically, I've done all the operations from from right. scratch, um, all the marketing, all the sales, and some account management. Um, and now, all I'm is mostly that thought leader role for Dexia as I build awareness, interest, and and help drive um, MQLs for the agency. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. So, so tell us. I mean, a lot of agencies focus on very specific group sets or group, uh, you know, client types. How has mm -hmm. your transition from Anvil to Dexia, uh, same same type of model, or who who are you servicing? So um, Dexia's passion is small business. In fact, you know, as much as I spent most of my career trying to get fewer larger accounts, yeah, they want yeah. many smaller accounts. It's a lot more work, but it is their passion. So 
I love working with entrepreneurs and small business enough so that I mentioned I've been involved with a couple agencies. I started Anvil in 2000, started bringing on full-time employees in 03, and by 2008, we'd worked our, well ourselves up the hierarchy of digital marketing to be one of the first, one of the biggest, one of the best, and then it also ran. And right. I felt like I was servicing these higher end clients fairly successfully, but I was losing out on helping small business and entrepreneurs right. and agency partners that I'd priced myself out of. So I launched a right. second agency in 08 called Formic Media, Anvil's sister agency. They were downstairs, same building. Eventually <laughs> we, we all came together. And after five years of building not to a post, you know, beyond a million in revenue and a handful of people, yeah. I realized I actually need those people at Anvil. So while Formic was growing, Anvil was stagnant and struggling. So I merged them back in 2014 Love and it. used that momentum to help clean up the company and um, and decide to, to finally sell in, in 2022. Now, you said some things that are interesting along this journey here that, that I wanna to touch on. First of all, you said digital marketing and you also said 1996. Now, a lot of listeners yes. weren't even alive in 1996 to know what that yes. meant. Oh, Tell yeah. us what that meant, yeah. because 96 was like, you know, I just barely heard of email for the first time in 95. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, when I, it's all serendipitous, and this is in my article that hopefully you'll post up my 27 years of business advice um, as sure. an entrepreneur and as a marketer and a business owner is that. In, in 90, I started my career in high tech PR in 94. And yeah. I started, I moved to Portland. I knew one person, my cousin, who I, she had an extra room in her apartment. So I, I became a roommate. And almost immediately as I started this um, high tech PR firm in Portland, they were like, oh, we're launching a web uh, online community builder. They didn't even know how to call it web development at the time, right. back in 95. And I right. instantly volunteered to help. I thought it was intriguing. And after a while, I was the first to volunteer to do their PR in exchange. So we would get a website, I'd do their PR. And I got to know that team. And eventually they were like, can you come downstairs and work for us being our marketing person? I was like, sure. Awesome. I mean, I love the discipline of PR. Started right. to get tired of the people in PR, bullshit artists, et cetera. So right. I, I took that opportunity, I jumped. And it wasn't until the creative director about a month in, keep in mind, they wanted me to market. So all I knew was PR. and. I have right. a degree in, in business with marketing concentration. So theoretically, I knew what advertising was, et cetera. But <laughs> I wanted to figure out how to market these websites we were building for Microsoft and Intel, all these big brands. Sure. And I didn't know where to start. And was our creative director over lunch one day said meta tags. I'm like, meta what? Because I didn't know programming language HTML. And right, so right, right. And so he said, yeah, I think, I think we need to know what that is. So I researched, I said, oh, I can put keywords in these meta keyword descriptions or meta keyword lists and descriptions and I could get my client sites to rank. And so I started my career in digital marketing by just trial and error, um, following some discussion lists. There were no publications that were specialized in it. There were no conferences, there were no books, there was nothing. And so I started to build that. And, and so my career in PR merging with internet meant I was instantly giving back. I started a newsletter, which was originally um, Anvil Media, which is where I came up with my agency name was, I'll just use this website I already have. It's a lot of work right. to create a new brand. So that's, that's how it all started. But I was speaking and writing within two years of graduating college. I was teaching literally professors in Orlando at a conference what the internet was after sitting and listening to them for, for you know, four to 16 years, depending on how you look yes. at it. 
Yes. Um, so I knew something was different and I just ran with it and just, you know, trial and error, self-discovery, talking and meeting smart people. Awesome. But there were no conferences, no books, no nothing. No, no, there really wasn't. And, and I remember, yeah, I, I can remember those days. And I remember starting my first businesses with a pager and not even having a website. And so I think that I think that we've come a long way. Now, in your journey, though, what, as you've seen this whole thing grow from, you know, initially just putting meta tags on words and in articles and on pictures to where you're at today, what's been your favorite part about that journey of not only digital marketing, but your ability to kind of assist companies through that, that getting to know themselves online? So there's a there's a two two edged uh, there's a double edged sword in that question because on one hand I can tell you I've been an adjunct professor at Portland State our local university here for over 20 years and awesome. I've been teaching search marketing SEO all that for like 16 of those years and right. honestly the material I created 16 years ago despite changing 30 percent of my my curriculum every year the fundamentals have not changed so right. part of it is. On the plus side, it's been nice to say, hey, we kind of got it right the first time. It's all fundamental marketing and there's just right. new channels and, and some new evolution of those channels. Like social media has changed social uh, search more than anything else until AI came along. And obviously sure. that's changing things radically. And we'll see how that, that um, susses out. But the other side of it is that this industry, digital marketing and marketing in a digital age is insane. And so one thing that I've done that I've been really enjoying as a as a my my passion is educating and and entertaining others as I educate them about what's going on. I was just in Quito, Ecuador, teaching entrepreneurs in Ecuador through the U.S. Embassy entrepreneurship awesome. and marketing. And I realize this is my passion, but yeah. one thing I've been doing for the last 15 years is each year I pick a new evolving or emerging trend. You know, if you think back 10, 12 years ago, it was like video. And yeah. then it was podcasting and like what we're doing now. And then maybe it was it was mobile and it was voice search and it was Everett. So three years ago, NFTs, two years ago, um, Web3. This last year, it's been um, um, chat, uh, GPT and AI. GPT, so sure. each year I try to, yeah, I try to keep something, try and get on the bandwagon on something ahead of, of the wave. Like I wrote right. it originally in 96, when nobody knew what the internet really was or could do. Yeah. I've been doing yeah. that each year in a small way. And that's what I enjoy is helping people like today, I'm gonna teach, tell the wine industry what they need to know about chat and GPT-4 and what, what does that mean for your business or for marketing? And I love, love being in that place. And it keeps me sharp despite some fundamentals not changing much. It's still a very dynamic industry. I love it. You know, and, and on that point, I would love for you to speak to this. A lot of people feel like uh, marketing is very specific to an industry. Yes, there are unique things that need to be thought of in each industry, but how do you feel like those fundamentals change from industry to industry? How much of that is consistently pretty much true across the board and how much is unique to an industry? Well, I would say in general, oversimplifying, I, I subscribe to the 80-20 rule. I'd say that 80% of the fundamentals do not change by industry, and there are a few major exceptions. So for instance, you know, we've had, you know, I can't mention these large footwear brands globally sure. based out of here in, in Oregon, 
but um, or big technology chip makers, etc. But right. I've worked with B two B, B two C, high tech, low tech, um, yeah. small individual startups with multinational and global organizations, and the the biggest differences are whether you're consumer targeting or targeting you know business Businesses. to business. Um, but after that, it really doesn't change much. And those exceptions are, in my experience, higher education and then medical yeah. slash healthcare with HIPAA and other compliance issues. But right, generally right, speaking, right. I don't I don't pivot radically from marketing a wine and uh, right. well, okay, alcohol does have some restrictions, but otherwise, but the idea of marketing a, a product, yeah. whether it's wine or a shoe or software or a service in the B two B world, um, one of the myths that I love to dispel is that. Um, people that come from the, the the consumer world and have come into the business to business world say, "Oh, right. I know consumer marketing, and um, you know it's you know it's complex." And then the B two B folks that where my roots are, I'm like, "It's so much more complicated. Ten to twelve touch points versus three right. to five touch points. Um, more decision makers, higher price points." But the biggest mistake that B two B marketers make that B two C marketers um, yeah. could take advantage of is the fact that. As a as a business owner, um, as a senior executive, you're still a human making human decisions based on human emotion. It's not all facts and feeds and speeds. So right. consumer marketers can be effective B two B marketers, but they have to be more patient. They have to be very, I think, far more educated on what it is to run a business versus a consumer buying perfume or a shoe. Right. There may be just a few touch points that make that sale work. And again, no disrespect to the consumer marketers out there, but. It is, it, you know, I've seen far greater success for those that can master B two B sales because it's so much. I find more complex and, and yeah. frankly, harder, more difficult. Have have seen great success because not everybody can market B two B, but you know, marketers, good marketers, can market B two C far far easier in my experience. Totally, totally. Hey, this is Todd again. Thanks so much for enjoying this episode of the podcast. I am so glad you're here, and I just wanted to take a few seconds to tell you about a program that we have assembled with a lot of our podcast guests and a lot of people who are listening to the show who are feeling the same way that they do. There's a recurring theme. You'll hear a lot of these founders talk about, I couldn't have done it without my team. I couldn't have done it without a, a support group of peers. I couldn't have done it without having someone to talk to that understood my feeling of isolation as an operator of my business. You see, you're not alone. It is hard running a business, and it's even harder when you know you can't express all your deepest concerns and frustrations with your executive team. It makes them nervous, it gets them scared. You don't want scared people on your executive team. So where do you turn? The Captain's Council is where you turn. The Captain's Council it is an organization that we are put together with podcast guests, as well as people who are listening who are in the same boat. You see, peers are the only ones that can give you the type of empathy, the type of advice that only a founder or operator know and understand. Go check it out at captainscouncil.com. I know you're gonna love what you see there. We have put together an organizational structure that has small group settings, a global community of founders and operators, as well as monthly and quarterly in-person events. You're going to love what you see there. I can't wait for you to check it out and enjoy the rest of this episode. I, I, I would have to agree with you there. Now, and now that we know what you do and who you serve, 
and a little bit about your background. What I want to know now is, you know, a lot of our listener audience are people that have either founded and are growing a business or are are looking for that, you know, exit type or just where are they growing the business to? Mm -hmm. And and you have now Mm -hmm. taken the role of marketer employee, marketer co-founder, marketer, my own agency, multiple agencies, combine them. And now you're now part of another agency in another journey, kind of, so to speak. Along those different roles, you know, as you built Anvil and you were growing that out and you combined it, recombined it with another brand and stuff like that, I guess, how, how do you recommend or what is the way you looked at the, not only the growth strategy of that business, but also what did a potential exit look like for you? And, and, and do you feel like you accomplished that or do you feel like there's something bigger in what, you know? Tell us about that kind of mindset that you kind of went through to, to grow and build. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with the, the, the my first uh, bit of advice that has done well for me. Um, and I, I just did a presentation in Quito, like these 15 lessons in 27 years as a kind of right. lesson entrepreneur and a That's business awesome. owner. But one that I didn't include in there that I, because I had only so much time, is I, I founded and grew my business and made business decisions based primarily on our core values, I right? And then secondarily on a bigger vision and, and, and mission. And so for instance, um, referencing my earlier comment, we, we, were, we started as a Toyota brand of digital marketing. I mean, we could work, we could sell a product to companies of all sizes and shapes, but we worked yeah. our way up to the premium kind of, a, we were more of a Lexus and we were pricing right. ourselves out of people who wanted a Skyon or a Toyota. So I launched a Skyon brand Formic back in 08. And that way I had two price points. And if you came in wanting a Toyota, I'd say, well, you really need this or you really only right. need this, whatever it was. Right. And I could do that. Um, but it really helped um, when I had to make tough decisions, I would look at our core values, when it, whether it was hiring or firing people, hiring or firing clients, um, you know, who to partner with, all of that. I, I find that businesses that are true to their core values are exponentially more successful. Um, and, and, and none of my values were, well, there's only one value about um, growth and it was growth mindset, growth mindedness, meaning I found that if I hired, didn't hire people that had a growth mindset, I was not successful because right. they believed that you're, you're, you're built, given this body and this mind and that's all you got. You're limiting right. your IQ, your EQ, your physical strength. And we know that's not true now. Science shows that you can gain right. any and all aspects of your, um, to, to a, some degree or a large degree. So I found that when I had people, when I hired people with a growth mindset, we grew together. Um, I also found that you cannot, I find that you cannot create passion individuals, but you yeah. can fuel it. You can help them find their red nose, find their fog and put it together and make magic. But, but they have the red nose. You can't make right. up their red nose. It is what it right. is. And I've right. had, I've struggled. It's like, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend trying to change or husband or wife trying to change that other person. You can bring out the best in them. You can diminish the worst, but you can't change who they are. So right. I learned that. And then the, uh, so passion had to be inherent. And then ideally I understood it, um, that they had a growth mindset. And the last was a commitment. Um, I had huge problems with Anvil over the years. I reinvented blew the company up and rebuilt it entirely in 2013. And that's uh-huh. why I ended up merging in 2014, the two companies I needed. Once I got rid of all the chaff and the, the garbage, right. whether right. it was people, clients or processes, 
I yeah. ended up with too light of a company, so I brought Formic and Anvil together, and that really strengthened it up. Um, but it's commitment. So I, I wanted to hire and um, employees and bring on clients that were committed to their craft, to their team, to each other, um, to their discipline, um, you know, to their career. And I found that in Portland, if you've seen Portlandia, I was living from 2010 to 2013, all the cliches of millennials times Portlandia <laughs> times 10, of people wanting to retire at 30, um, of people that felt entitled to certain things. And yes. what I, I will make this before any any um, millennials throw me under the bus. I <laughs> most valuable lesson, also not my, my 20 years of lessons is, there's a difference between a millennial age person and a millennial mindset. And by millennial mindset, I mean everything you've ever heard or experienced that is the worst part of a certain yeah. generation that it's been associated yeah. with is, I had Gen Xers with a millennial's mindset and I oh, eventually yeah. finally figure out how to hire millennials without the millennial mindset, meaning all the best of a millennial without any of the bullshit. And yeah. those are the people that I brought into Dexia. Um, but it, it took me 20, 20 years to find them. You know, it was really it's a, hard. Like it's hard to find them. It's hard. And it's hard to know what Gen Z is turning into. You know, it's a it's an interesting, interesting uh, comment there. I really I really appreciate that. And I resonate with that because I've hired millennials who have been very Gen X mindset, and I've hired I've I've hired a lot of a lot of Gen Xers who were just like so entitled that, hey, I'm I'm Gen X, just I'm yeah. here. Well, yeah. What it's what tough. else you need? It's you tough. know, it, it is tough. Exactly. So, so talk to us about your biggest challenges. You know, and growth and scaling is not easy. What have you hit as far yeah. as a roadblock that you thought was just like ah, crap. Well, I'll give you um, stitch together four four tips and one experience. And when I mentioned the company was, I, I hit a crisis where Google, our reps, and we were a big spender with some million dollar monthly spends. And we had yeah. some high profile people on the team. Um, yet I had Google and my own employees saying, we're gonna we're outdated. We haven't evolved with the time. And I won't go into too much, but I, I finally figured that out. And I was like, I don't even like coming to work. I was making more money at the time than I thought I'd ever make in my life. And I was miserable, right. uh, didn't respect my team, didn't like my clients, was losing passion for the discipline that I really was here you know, right. from the ground floor up. And so um, the, the first tip, I think, um, kind of working backwards is that my greatest enemy was my success. And by that, I mean, with the kind of money that was coming in the door, I had zero motiva motivation to yeah. look for cracks and problems. So I thought I was in a Ferrari gotcha. cruising down the freeway with the top down, you know, with beautiful women in the car with me and everybody's looking <laughs> and I realized it was a f old Ford Escort with, you know, bailing wire and hamsters <laughs> under the hood. But I was going fast enough, I felt the breeze, right? Yeah, and so yeah. Once I looked at it and realized the money is good for now, but the money will drop like a cliff. So I took a, a okay. hit in order to rebuild. And so, um, so that first lesson was that success was my ultimate failure because I didn't, I was not motivated to look and identify problems that were hit, impacting me now or in the future. And so yeah. working back from there, I, I started that. to put accountability in place with my team. You yeah. are accountable for this, this, and this. The problem yeah. was that wasn't out of the gate. So um, what right. I couldn't change people's expectations when they'd been with me five to 10 years. And yeah. so I wrote yeah. a credo and said, you're in or you're out. And they all left. They're like, yeah, 
No, you had, I had no accountability for five to 10 years. You can't change the game. Fair ask, I suppose. So we parted ways. And then I brought people in that were like, why wouldn't I be accountable? That's, that's table stakes. That's a requirement for the, so they were aligned with passion, growth mindset and commitment. So we didn't have a problem, but, um, it was from that day forward, I set expectations. I, we've set goals and measure metrics. And then we, we checked in, I inspected, I did not expect, because that was the other thing is I hired great people and I got out of the way. And that's a famous Lee Coca quote that also did me terrible. Um, because I truly hired smart people. The problem is I didn't set expectations and set, you know, goals and metrics. And I did check in, but I, if I wasn't checking in, I was just expecting. So part of expecting is if my numbers look okay, we must be okay. Well, how they were getting there was a little bit of, you know, a little bit of magic and also a whole lot of stress. They were burning themselves out without coming to me saying, I'm struggling. I'm not happy. I don't want to fail. And we could have fixed it, but they never did. They quit before we could fix it. So those were, or I fired them. And so, so that all of that is all one stitch together story. Set expectations up front, hire based on your values, align vision, measure, inspect, do not expect. Inspecting isn't micromanaging. It's having the check-ins and understanding we're all aligned and then figuring out where the stucks are and helping them move those stucks out of the way. And it's really, it's really, frankly, it's that simple, but hard to implement. It is that simple, but it is exceptionally hard to implement. And, and, but once you finally figure out how to implement those pieces, business is not as complicated as most people make it out to be. And and I think that what you probably learned the same way that I've learned is that the, the more clearly defined you are on values, expectations, and, and all the responsibilities, things like that that you just talked about, it is less of a burden because you're not wondering, what are they going to produce for me? You know what your team is going to produce and you know what the potential outcome could be. And so it is a little less of an emotional burden, wouldn't you say, as you learn to set those things up yes. the right way? Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Now, and it's, it, yeah. So I would, it's been a good experience. Now, now you as a founder, I, I know firsthand that being a founder is, uh, is fairly lonely. You know, you're, you're trying to build these things. You're trying to set the vision. You're trying to set the everything up for people to, to come be a part of it with you. Have you had a good mentor or someone that you kind of look to that deserves a little bit of a shout out that this helped you kind of go through this journey that you've been on. Yes. And I would say, unfortunately, this is a posthumous shout out, um, but still one of the most important um, people in my my professional career life was uh, a, um, a, a head of a department at an agency here in Portland that recruited me from my web development experiences. I was just learning how to map yeah. and merge PR with internet marketing. He saw that, yeah. he saw the potential of me, he saw me speak or heard about me brought me and said, I want you to run whatever online PR is going to be. Whatever PR is going to be online, I want you to run that and be our expert and our consultant. And this was a 140 person agency and I was leaving a 14 person agency. And after a couple months, I got bored. Um, I said, you know, the, the PR side doesn't get me. The ad side doesn't get me. The interactive side that was building websites, they didn't get me. I said, can I build my own team? He said, sure build me a plan and I'll approve it. And that's just what he did. So along the way, he was coaching me on things like the math and the science of Frank Sinatra 
and how he sings. And I was like, what? And and he just taught me so much in the, the original computer revolution. He was an early stage hacker with a K Pro and like really Love original it. computer stuff. But he really also, more importantly, taught me how to run an agency because he had gone uh, he had gone through agency workshops and courses at Burst and Marsteller out, right. out of Canada and Toronto and had moved back to the States. And he was like, it's these are your margins. This is how you run a P&L and this and that. So that when we launched, he left the agency after recruiting me, came back and said, I'm going to launch an agency. Are you in? First time I said yeah. no, because his life was kind of in, in flux, to put it mildly. And then three months later said, I've got my clients, I've got the other team members lined up at you and I was like, when am I going to get to do a startup? So we Love launched it. in 99 and we had rocket, you know, we went from um, six original employees to 36 in a year and a half and awesome. working with some great clients and doing good work. And then we had a falling out. And that was also an extremely valuable lesson is yeah. we let business get in the way of a friendship. And to this day, I still... I still apply his learnings and I miss him. He, he died of a heart attack at 42 and we never really Oof. got to reconnect and make it, make it whole again. Darn it. Um, but yeah. I, I have my piece uh, through his, his widow that he left behind and, the, and we had a really good conversation about his intention for us to reconnect, which would have been great. But he just, he helped me in invaluable. He believed in me when very few others did, supported my growth Love and it. guided me and allowed me to do what I've done. Love it. Oh, by the way, his well, name I, is Ryan Wilson, and he was an amazing guy. Awesome. Not the Beach Boy. No, not the Beach Boy, but Ryan Wilson's are hard not to trust, Close right? <laughs> well, listen, I, I appreciate this interview. I love the the uh, the background, the stories, everything you shared with us is very useful for most people on their growth journey. I have a link in the in the show notes of all of your articles you've been writing recently on reflections and the things that you've learned through the years. I love what you've done to put this together. I do think it needs to go in a book, so hurry up and get it in a book. And uh, <laughs> and listen, we look forward to seeing you in the future in, in running in your circles. Uh, is there a place you hang out most often? Are you visible on social media? Sure, yeah. I would encourage any of you to, to just Google Kent Lewis and either Dexia or Anvil and the, my LinkedIn profile or my bio will show up and connect with me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on the Twitter at Kent J. Lewis. Uh, step awesome. on digital marketing and, and entrepreneurship. Love it. Love it. Thanks so much for being here today, Kent. Appreciate all you shared with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Todd. Hey, I hope that was enjoyable for you. I love the episode. I love the guy. You know, Kent is a great businessman. He is a smart businessman. He has helped large, huge brands with some of their marketing as well as very small brands. And I think that that range of client type has given him a unique perspective on growth and scaling. He's a great guy to follow. He's got some really, really interesting articles. You do want to read the show notes. He's got a fantastic following. And I think that if you uh, are looking for some inspiration in terms of what to do with your agency, how to grow your business, I highly recommend you listen to that. Thanks so much. And we'll see you on the next episode.